Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, we chat with Lucy Ann Mall about her mini book, Help, I Get Panic Attacks. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Dr. Lucy Ann Mall is an ACBC certified counselor on staff with Biblical Counseling Center. Since 2008, she has video counseled women and families worldwide. She earned her doctorate in Biblical Counseling in 2020 and writes articles at LucyAnnMoll.com. Hey there, Lucy. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to, forward to this conversation for months. I'm, I'm so excited. We, I know we tried to connect before and COVID, so here we are now. Exactly, yes. We have had this on the agenda, I think, since earlier in the year. And so it is nice to finally connect on a really important topic that I know is especially prevalent now on the flip side of even COVID. I mean, it was already relevant before, but even now with all of the things that have changed uh, since the beginning of 2020, uh, I think it's even more necessary to have this discussion around the topic of panic and anxiety. And so before we get started into the nitty gritty of you know, responding to panic attacks and anxiety from a biblical perspective. I wonder if you would spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write a mini book on this topic. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Christine. The reason I wrote Help I Get Panic Attacks is I wanted to let people know that they're not alone. They are not nuts and there is hope and there are God-honoring solutions to overcome the cycle of fear. And as I share in my mini book, I've been through panic attacks and they are terrifying. And when I got my very first one at age 18, I saw my parents' psychiatrist and we talked and that was that. And there was no prescription for an anti-anxiety medication. It just turned out well at that time. But then I didn't get another one until 10 years later. But then when I, when I did, my life pretty much unraveled at that point. I'm sure we'll get into that later, but it, it was just it was just crazy. And I, I called my parents' psychiatrist again, and he listened to my story of full-blown panic attacks, one after another, especially while I was driving on a highway coming home from work. And as I had panic attacks, my world just kept getting smaller and smaller and it it this is very very scary the panic attacks in themselves are scary of course but so is the fear of losing your job of strain on a marriage of not doing normal stuff like going to a grocery store it was just getting it was just getting crazy and so the psychiatrist at that time and he knew me through my parents he prescribed Xanax to me, and Xanax is a type of anti-anxiety medication, and he called the prescription into a pharmacy, and, and that's how I began a medication. And also, that's you know, my love-hate relationship with medication started. It's um, controversial in some circles to take 
medication, but I agree with Dr. Charles Hodges and consider it to be a wisdom issue. It can help to stabilize a person so that he or she can think rationally and apply biblical principles to their situation. But it is not the answer. It is a help for some people in some situations, and it needs to be a decision, you know, after a lot of prayer and after a lot of counsel and guidance and supervision from a physician. So uh, sorry for that <laughs> call to sack into medication. But when we're talking about panic attacks, the topic of medicine invariably comes up and the people I counsel very often are already using on medication that was prescribed to them by their doctor. But back to your question, the reason why I wrote Help I Get Panic Attacks was to help the panic attack sufferers by providing them biblical hope and help and by sharing my story, again, so they know that they're not alone, that there are solutions, and that solution does not necessarily have to include medication. Medication is just one help that some people choose to use. You know, you shared a little bit about how overwhelming and scary having a panic attack is. And I think that's one of the difficult things for those who are either counseling someone who has panic attacks, or maybe they're a spouse or even a parent, maybe their child has panic attacks. And so they're having a really hard time, maybe because they haven't personally experienced one. It's It can be difficult to really empathize with the experience and to somebody who hasn't walked through what you know, the the start to the end of a panic attack and the physical components of it, the emotional components of it, it can just seem like someone's just being unreasonable. And so I wonder if you might take a few minutes to help paint a picture for those of us who maybe are not familiar personally with what it is to go through a panic attack. Would you explain what it is and what it feels like for the person who's experiencing it? Well, a a panic attack is is terrifying, is what it is. It's terror. You don't quite understand it unless you've gone through it. Once you've gone through it, you'll never forget it. But that said, there is, it's a spectrum. There are mild panic attacks, and then there's severe, full-blown panic attacks. Now, in the DSM, you know, used by um, psychologists, they would say, um, I guess it's an arbitrary number, but it's, you know, pretty accurate. They would say if you have four or more of the symptoms, you know, get into that in just a second, um, of the symptoms, then that would be considered a quote-unquote panic attack. If you have three or fewer, then you're just having a whole lot of anxiety. If you're having zero or one, then you're not really having much anxiety at all. But but that that's how, you know, that's just how it's a number someone came up with. I have no idea who came up with the number four, but someone came up with the number four in order to differentiate panic attacks from a less severe form of anxiety. The panic attacks, they are physical responses to actually, we'll get into this in a minute, but it's actually a problem that begins in the, in the mind, in the thoughts. But the physical responses, and they're, they're in my mini book, and they're ones that when I read them off, you'll be familiar with them. You've heard these before. Pounding heart or rapid heart rate, sweating, trembling and shaking, feelings of shortness of breath or smothering sensations, chest pain feeling dizzy, lightheaded, or faint, feeling of choking, numbness or tingling, chills or hot flashes, nausea, feeling detached, fear of losing control, fear of dying. 
but all of that, you know, like I said, four or more would be considered to be a panic attack. I mean, sometimes some people might have 12 of these at one time. Terror is the best word I can use, is that's what it feels like. It feels like terror. Keep in mind, they are felt in the body. A panic attack is felt in the body, but they actually begin in the mind. And now some people, because they are felt in the body, they might actually think that they are having a heart attack. For example, if they have a pounding heart and, and if they have chest pain, I mean, that will send a lot of people to the ER, and understandably. So there are some bodily cases, like hyperthyroidism would be one example of situation where it actually needs to be diagnosed, and then hyperthyroidism would need to be diagnosed and then treated that way. But normally, it is starting in the mind that gives an idea of what's going on is that the person is having all these physical responses and then the physical responses themselves are frightening. If you were to have like nausea and in addition to that fear of losing control as well as trembling and shaking and sweating and chest pain, you're going to be thinking like, okay, this is a physical problem. But um, it, like I said, it's, it's just terror. It's, just, it's very scary. Lucy, when you were working through the panic attacks that you were experiencing in your own life, what kinds of comments did you receive from others that were unhelpful? And then what kind of encouragements did you receive that were actually helpful? Well, I suppose that the worst comment was something like, well, Lucy, you know, you're thinking irrationally. And my response would be, I know, I, I know I'm thinking irrationally. You know, I know that. And so Having someone tell me what I already knew, especially if they repeated themselves, which sometimes well-meaning family and friends will do that mm -hmm. because they do care, but that would be quite aggravating and that compounded the pain would be just, you know, you know you're being irrational. You know that that's not real. I'd be like, yeah, I know that's not real, but nonetheless, I'm still dealing with it. This is still hurting. It's still awful. It's still terror. Um, so those that, that would be an example of a type of comment that would be unhelpful, even hurtful. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of what did help, one would be being believed. Another would be having the person you know sit with me or talking with me. I have you know I counsel people who have panic attacks as well, and they've also said the same thing. Just to have somebody with them reassuring them, not playing into like, oh, yeah, you got something horrible wrong with you. Not like that. But being there, being present, talking with them, praying with them, and gently and lovingly urging them to inform their minds. You got to talk back to your fear. Basically, filling your mind with what scripture says and replacing fearful thoughts with faith-filled thoughts. And stop asking things like, what if... You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? It goes down that crazy cycle. Instead, asking, even if, even if I have a panic attack, God is with me and cares for me and is helping me. So I, I need not really fear. And you're so right, Lucy, to encourage people about the ministry of 
presence, I think, especially for people who are really in the middle of a panic attack. I mean, I know personally, I have experienced them in the past, even as recently as just a few years ago after I relocated from California to South Carolina. I spent some time in Virginia and it seemed as though it was like the highest humidity on record that summer. And I all it took was I saw a picture on Facebook of a friend who was at the California beach that I love to go to all the time. And I don't know what it was. But for some reason, seeing that picture, all of a sudden, I felt like there's humidity outside and it's suffocating and I'm suffocating. And now just my body totally took over. And I honestly did feel like I couldn't, I was breathing. But I didn't feel like I was getting any air. And it was terrifying. And the thing that helped to get me through it was just calling my husband. And even though he couldn't do anything to stop it, he was on the phone with me while I I wrote it out. Basically, you know, have to wait a few minutes for the hyperventilation aspect to calm down. And it did. And it's just it's scary because, you know, you're like, you know that you're breathing, you know that you're not actually suffocating. And yet your body is having some kind of response that makes you feel like there's a big problem going on. And so thank you for sharing about the ministry of presence for someone actually in the middle of a panic attack. I think that is very helpful. At what point did you decide that the panic attacks were interfering with your life and that you needed to reach out for help? And what did that help look like initially? For me, when it goes to like, when did I reach out it has to do with getting back and forth to work it was in my late 20s when there was a situation at work it really goes for me it went back to fear of man we start going when you do panic attacks when i counsel people regarding panic attacks we want to go back to the root cause like what is going on like for me it at the time i did not know this um but it goes back to fear of man something happened at work i was driving i was in the chicago area driving back on the Eisenhower into the suburbs. And at this place where the highway like splits, our radio was on edge and I was replaying things that happened at work in my mind. So again, like I said, it starts in the mind. And I had this thought, I, well, I don't even know what thought I had to tell you the truth. I started feeling it in my body. I started feeling my knees started to feel like jello. I know I was breathing fast. I know I was starting to perspire. And I, so I started telling myself, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. And so at that point, you know, I got home barely. I remember getting off the ramp, clutching the steering wheel and telling myself, drive into the ditch, drive into the ditch. I mean, it was actually, it was kind of an escape. And it's very weird if you go through it. It's so strange. Now, not everybody has this. Just, you know, this, this was uniquely loose. Mm-hmm. You know, going, going through, you know, one of those spaghetti things is like driving to the ditch. And like, why would I drive into the ditch? Why would I even think that? I I wasn't suicidal. I didn't actually want to drive in a ditch. It was an escape. Like if I drove into a ditch, then I didn't have to be driving anymore. I mean, that's how insane this can get, Um, like crazy thinking. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was the next day, you know, I I went to work, going to work was fine on highway on my way back. The same thing happened in the same place. So at this point then, highway driving then became unsafe to me, even though it wasn't unsafe. I was just believing that it was. I was actually trying to avoid further panic attacks because the panic attacks themselves are so terrifying. So that's when I knew, and then I already told the story a little bit of calling the psychiatrist. I didn't do that immediately. I had started having more panic attacks just leaving my home. And this all happened very quickly, like within two weeks, more panic attacks. And so I called the psychiatrist and 
and um, got the prescription. And it did, in fact, help. Of course, it was a very short-term solution for you know a larger problem that I had, I had to deal with. But when I counsel people, it, it's similar for them too, not just me, because here it's like getting back and forth to work for uh, someone I counseled. Hers was similar. Like she, like you mentioned about presence early and like talking with your husband. She would call, she, she lives in a, one of the northern states, and she would drive, you know, 45 minutes to work and back. She works as a school teacher, and she would talk to her mom all the way there and all the way back because it just, it was, you had somebody with you. It felt like that just to talk with somebody on the phone um, for someone for someone else. And, and so it interfered with her again. It was great that her mom took that time out. And her mom didn't stop doing that, but she knew she couldn't keep doing that. She needed another solution besides that. For someone um, I spoke with, he feared he was having a heart attack, went to the ER, and then he visited many specialists afterward. And finally, it was recognized, since it wasn't any of these other things, because he had one of his main things he had was facial pressure. That's how it, that was his you know, physical response to it was facial pressure. It was anxiety, really. So finally got the diagnosis of anxiety. It was curtailing his ability to work. I mean, he still would work, but he it was um, limited. And then also just enjoyment of family life. Someone else I'm counseling right now, I, I, I counsel people online all over the world, and that's mainly what I do. I've been doing that since 08, so I talk to all these people all over, all over the world. But she also lives in another state and um, we started counseling by basically telehealth and for hers it got so bad she won't leave her house now and she says she needs serious dental work she um uh, she hasn't been to the dentist in you know a couple of decades and so we're working together so again she knows she needs dental work but right now she's just trying to leave leave her house and, and just learn to drive around the block with someone else like her husband in the car with her but it's we're trying to get her, you know, to the step at a time toward getting to the dentist office. She knows this is going to take a while because it's, she's been dealing with it for for decades. Just you know, the goal isn't to get to a dentist office or to get to work. You know, that's not the goal of the counseling. It's going back to the to the root issue behind it. But meanwhile, you know, we have we have goals, and then in that there's a type of relearning, a renewing of the mind of this isn't really something I need to truly be scared about. This is in my imagination that driving is unsafe or that leaving my house is unsafe. You know, I worked with some, somebody else who, you know, she's a nurse. And when we were um, counseling, it was hard for her to just do her work and do the things she needed to do because, again, the panic attacks were so fearful that her world, like so many of us, it just kept closing and closing and closing in. So those are the reasons why somebody goes for help. What does it look like initially? Well, usually people turn to family and friends and just talk to them. Some people, they'll be very scared and they'll take an ambulance to a hospital and they get checked out. And typically, they, you know, EKG and whatever else the doctors do at the hospital turns out to be normal. But that's usually what the initial help is, you know, family, friends, and doctors as, as um, people feel led to to do that, call up their physician. Well, like you have mentioned a few times in the conversation, you know, there may be times when physical care is appropriate, but for the purposes of our conversation, I'd love to drill down 
to uh, the spiritual aspects. And so I wonder if you would help us to understand how the scriptures can serve to develop a biblical view of the experience of panic attacks. Oh, sure. But before but before I, I do that, I just want to make this other thing. It's related again to how this all starts in the first place. How, how would a panic attack even begin? Because a panic attack would be considered to be an extreme fear experience that is out of proportion with the actual situation. So just to kind of go with mm-hmm. some definitions there. And and normally when we perceive danger, normally we're going to feel fear when we perceive danger. I mean, that's a normal response. You know, a dog's chasing you, we're coming at you. And it's like, of course, you're going to be afraid with this dog. But, but sometimes the danger is not actually real. It's imagined. And um, in her book, Will Medicine Stop the Pain, psychiatrist and biblical counselor, Laura Hendrickson, she explained the process of how our body responds to danger. And automatically, when the brain registers that there is danger, that sends impulses to the adrenal glands, as according to her book here, um, these release epinephrine and the fight or flight hormones, adrenaline and other chemicals causing a series of physiological events, including increased blood flow, you know, increased respiration to just more breathing. Um, the fight or flight response actually becomes a nemesis because the fear is groundless. There's this quote by Charles Spurgeon, and I'm going to just read it. Uh, it says, such strange creatures are we that we probably smart more under blows which never fall upon us than we do under those that actually come. The rod of God does not smite us as sharply as the rod of our own imaginations do. Our groundless fears are our chief tormentors. I just want to, again, kind of bring that up. Now, to your question of what scriptures help. Well, there are many, um, and there's some that we can remind ourselves of regularly, you know, even memorizing them so then we can meditate on them. Three of the main passages is the one from Philippians 4, 4 through 9, um, and that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that that section there is a very good one. Another one is in Matthew chapter 6 and then also Luke chapter 12. Those are parallel passages. I'm going to flip in my Bible right now to Luke chapter 12, 22 through 34. And that parallel passage is in, like I said, is in um, Matthew And I'm just going to read a small section of it. I'll just read verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we're in, particularly in when it comes to panic attack, typically our treasure is in something like security or certainty. We want to be certain this won't happen again, or we want to have a sense of security. But we're we're not going to God for his security. We're trying to figure it out on our own. We're trying to find our own security rather than than his so those are there are other there's some psalms that are really good as well but those are some scripture verses that are 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 very helpful that help us to develop a biblical view of 
they experience a panic attacks. There are some really, really good stories um, in the Bible. One of them that I, I like to share about is the one with David. And this is David and Goliath. We all know that story. But the part that I like about it is where when he, so he's like this you know, older teenage guy. He's bringing lunch to his brothers. The Israelite army is there. They're all, they are having terror. You know, they are freaking out um, because Goliath is there and he's extremely tall. He's a giant of a man. But David, he's not afraid in the same way. He doesn't have the terror because he knows already that God has provided the victory. So he didn't, he doesn't cower like his brothers and like the rest of the Israelite army. He, in fact, you know, goes forth and faces what would be considered a very fearful situation, but he does not have any terror about it. He, he's believing God and trusting him. He's, I guess, you know, like to use, a, again, one of those phrases, he's stepping out into faith, but, but he actually is, you know, believing God that the victory has already been won. And then that way there is no real reason to fear because he is agreeing with God that God has already provided the victory and, uh, and he's working off of that truth instead of being bogged down by all these fears imagined or real. Well, I wonder, you know, panic attacks can serve to press us deeper into our own spiritual life and our walk with Christ. And you know, the Lord can use those types of physical experiences to to minister to us and even reveal parts of our hearts, like you talked about, maybe things that we are trying to have too much of certainty, control, security that the Lord, you know, maybe is not calling us to have. <laughs> he wants us to remind us that we find those things in him and not in certainty of our surroundings or outcome or, you know, having a knowledge of what the future holds and, and all of that. And so I wonder if you might help us understand how panic attacks can be... I like to call it a redemptive benefit, and I, I don't mean that if it sounds insensitive, but, you know, through all the different types of sufferings that we may have, the Lord is working redemptively, you know, to weave it and fold it into his purposes for our good and his glory. And so when we recognize different weaknesses that we're struggling with, the Lord is so kind to minister to us to say, well, here's what I want you to know about me in this situation. Here's what I want you to remember about your identity in this situation. And so can you help us to connect? the dots with how panic attacks can serve to expose areas of our faith that the Lord wants us to mature in or, or grow in? Yeah, definitely. I think like foremost, um, what a panic attack is showing us when we're having one is that, well, one of them is that we're focusing on our circumstances rather than on God's power and care. We're taking our eyes off the Lord and his grace, his strength, and instead we're focusing on our situation. That's very understandable. You know, so you know that's very understandable. If you're if you're the person with your heart beating fast and your your knees are like jello and you're telling yourself driving to the ditch. I mean, obviously, it's very understandable why you focus on yourself. But what it tells us is instead of focusing ourself, is to focus on God and His care. We need to instead of being overly concerned with ourself, we need to focus instead on, on what uh, God commands us to do, and that is to love him and love others and not be so concerned about our own welfare. It serves as a self-fulfilling prophecy. As we keep thinking about 
I gotta be safe. I gotta be safe. I gotta be safe. It's kind of like looking at our belly buttons. We we keep focusing there in, instead of you know lifting our eyes up and looking at God. There's a a quote in uh, Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts, and this quote says, "The circumstances in which we must trust God often appear irrational and inexplicable." We do not know the extent, the duration, or the frequency of the painful, adverse circumstances in which we must frequently trust God. We are always coping with the unknown. And so with the panic attacks, that's what we are doing. We're focusing on what's happening in our lives and how our lives are being messed up by panic attacks and how it's messing up our families instead of going to God. Now, saying that, it sounds like going to God makes it sound like it's a you're flipping a light switch, like, oh, it's so easy to do that. It's not. Our minds need to be renewed, and that takes time to do that. That's why we need to be in the Word, why we need to be around other believers in fellowship, why we need to be speaking with others who are speaking truth to us, whether that's, you know, trusted Christian friends or with a counselor, but we need to be focusing on that. We need to be identifying the root of what's going on with us. And we need to be, uh, again, getting our minds off of ourselves. You know, like, like it said in that verse in Luke that I referred to earlier about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If my treasure is being safe and secure, then I will do everything to give that to myself. And that means not leaving my home, even though there's obviously negative problems with that. There's problems with that. I might just do that because I'm thinking that will provide me with safety, even though I'm realizing as that's happening, not happening as the panic attacks continue, then it's really not serving me well. And just, just a real quick thing. Not all panic attacks will be that people are staying in their house because that would be agoraphobia, the fear of fear. Rather, a lot of panic attacks are around a very specific situation. I've counseled people like they're, they had panic attacks related to fear of flying or fear of bees or fear of being on an elevator. So, and, and then what they're then doing is then they are doing everything to avoid those things. They're trying to avoid flying, even if that means you know driving everywhere, even when it doesn't make sense to really be driving that far. Or bees, like where they're not, the 1% counsel, like she knew nobody was allergic to bees or anything like that. She didn't want to throw the garbage out by the garage. There was a garbage can there. She didn't want to throw it. She just would pile it up for her husband to throw it out later, even though she was well able to do it. Her, But she just had this fear. So sometimes the panic attacks aren't so much that people are going to be staying in their homes. It could be they could be generally living life fairly normally, except for that thing. Imagine having to take an elevator and you have to go up to a you know, a very tall building, even if it's like 30 stories, you know, walking up 30 floors. I mean, some of us can do that. Some of us would have to take some breaks on the way up, but it just interferes with life in different ways. So. Well, I do have to make a small confession. You were talking about, yeah, the fear of heights, you know, the elevators and then also the flying. So that would be me. Um, <laughs> so I'm one of those people who will probably drive an obnoxious amount of hours to avoid I'm getting on a plane, but I'm working on that. So it's it's definitely something that I recognize as as not necessarily reasonable. But yeah, it's just I appreciate you using those those examples because I think it is something that many of us can relate to, even if we haven't had official panic attacks because of the situation. But just that fear in general, the way that you're talking about it, can keep us from actually doing things and from having experiences because we want that security, we want that certainty to know that if I do this, nothing bad is going to happen. 
And so thank you for pointing that out for us. I wonder if we could take a few minutes to talk about the counseling aspect of working with someone who is struggling with panic attacks. When you counsel women who are battling against anxiety and panic in their lives, what does your discipleship look like with them? Well, first off, it's a lot of listening. Yeah, I want to I want them to know that they're being heard and I'm not going to shame them for having had panic attacks. I'm going to believe them. Most people feel embarrassed by them. They don't even want to talk about them much at all. And they've run into other people saying like, "Oh, just get over it. You know, it's no big deal." You know, like why are you doing that? I mean, they, they run into that all the time. So first I want to, I want to listen and I want to hear them. And then I'm also, as I'm listening to the story and providing that presence and that, that I'm believing them, I also want to begin to identify the root cause of their fear. Some of us just have a propensity toward anxiety from the get-go. Just some people are just like that. You know, you can see it very often in, in young children. It doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily develop panic attacks when they're older. Just some of us are just more fearful at the beginning. And then sometimes people have had a situation that was extremely scary to them. Like for example, back when I was like eight years old, I got, I was calling my brother home for dinner, walked to, you know, the friend's house around the block and I got bit by the friend's dog, you know, half Doberman, half German Shepherd. Well, you know, everything worked out. I mean, I need, I need to go to the hospital. I need to get some stitches. It all worked out good. Um, it was fine. But mentally, I was afraid to go back there. And it took me the longest time to get over being around a larger dog, even little dogs, um, because of that frightening experience. So sometimes when I'm talking to a counselee, it'll be something like that. that that's where their fear began. For me and dogs, by the way, over time, you know, it's still not, they're not, I, I still prefer cats over dogs, but, but um, I got over that, but it just took time. I didn't need counseling for that. I just need more exposure to dogs when everything was safe. Time helped that. But for people who come for biblical counseling, they're obviously, they're not in that situation where it's working itself out. So that said, identifying the root. So it can be something like that, but there can be other roots as well. It can be where the person is looking for peace and security and approval. For me, when my panic attacks started with the, with the driving, I valued people's approval above all. And so when you know that situation happened in my office, that's what was running through my mind as I was driving home. It just so happened because I just happened to be freak, you know, had a panic attack at that point in the highway. That's why they got connected. They didn't get connected because there was anything horrible about the highway. It's just that's why I had the panic attack. I had the panic attack on highway. And so then highway driving then became like my phobia is what it became. So anyway, in counseling, I start looking for that. I start looking for the connections. And then, you know, right after that, or all through that, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at the Bible, what the, what the Bible is, is teaching. Cause there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting, you know, peace and security and, comfort and, and approval, but it's like, where am I going for that? It, the problem arises when we want these things more than we want God himself. And so as any of us are looking to our circumstances, our life situations to provide, provide for us that only God alone provides, already we're starting to have disordered thinking, disordered worship. And so then in counseling, as we are looking at scripture, as we are going through, we even think of like the book of Ruth 
and reading through the book of Ruth and how did God provide for Ruth in an extremely difficult situation, you know, being a widow and her mother-in-law is a widow and she's in a new place and there she is gleaning on a field. She's potentially involved in all sorts of danger. What did she do? And what do we learn from that? You know, she kept turning to the Lord. She kept looking to him. And instead of freaking out over all that was going on around her, she kept looking to him and kept reminding herself of him. Now, we don't know much about Ruth in all that she was thinking. We see through her behavior, what she was doing, that she was being very trusting of, you know, the almighty God. But in addition to those things, as I'm giving a very long answer to your question, is we need to, we need to then start to make actual practical steps, recognizing that we had listen to a lie, like driving on highways is unsafe or flying in airplanes is unsafe in spite of like we recognize like the statistically, you know, like what the truth is there. If, if I'm not allergic to bees, why am I afraid of throwing out the garbage where there might be bees near the garbage can, you know? And so we need to, there's a, there's a lie we're, we're dwelling on. And it's usually something like awful things are going to happen in my my life. I need to protect myself. Only I can protect myself. So we've been entertaining fearful thoughts over and over. So, and we've developed a fearful habitual thinking. And so since now that we've had this habit of thinking about fearful events of what might happen, they might not happen, but we think that they might happen and we have to protect ourselves. We need to start reminding ourselves of the, on, on the truth and recognize that like, what is the lie that we've listened to that we've dwelt on, that we've believed and we've acted on. And now what can we do? How can we replace our fearful thoughts with faith-filled thoughts? And then begin then, instead of looking at our circumstances, looking at our creator and that he loves us and he cares for us. There's been work done on plasticity of the brain and how neural pathways are developed in habits making. So now we have to make a new habit, a holy habit. But that's nothing, again, it's not, I don't want anybody to think like you could just like flip a switch and ta-da, it's all done. You're quote unquote healed. I mean, God's you know, ultimately will all be healed. It's a hard thing to have panic attacks and to live with panic attacks, especially if you've had them for years or decades. It's a big deal. It's a real thing that you're dealing with. But there is hope. There are solutions. It can be done. Things can get better. They really can. I've seen that happen over and over again. And it does not even mean that you have to be in counseling for years or anything like that. As you learn the tools in counseling and they continue continue to apply what you learn in your daily life, ideally you would have friends, family, church friends as well, that they come alongside you and support you and help you in it, especially when you're when you start focusing on the circumstances again, you you find yourself back in that. So it's very important to to watch our thoughts, to focus on that God is our safe place, that He's the one who cares for us. And so so we need to remember that he's promised to care for us in any situation we find ourselves in, no matter how unsettling that situation is. He, he will never leave us. He's always with us. And so anyway, that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> Hopefully that helps, though. 
Well, we are just about out of time today. And so, Lucy, I want to invite you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who suffers from panic attacks. Maybe they have tried medicines and other various treatment methods, but they haven't enjoyed as much success and aren't really sure if they understand how their faith in Christ intersects with this particular issue. What would you say to this listener to encourage them to look to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the hope and help they need in overcoming this cycle of fear? Yeah, uh, what, I, what I'd want to tell you know, the person listening is, is this. You're not alone. You're not crazy. What's happening is real. You're having real bodily responses, you know, whether they're uh, increased heart rate or your knees feel like jello or whatever it is, that's real. And you may have tried medicine. You may have decided against medicine either way, but you, you still need, you still need hope. You still need help. I'd encourage you to reach out to people that you know would listen, family, friends, you know, someone at church, a neighbor, ask them to, to hear you and share what's going on, get their support, ask them to just sit with you. Ask them if you could you know, put them uh, on speed dial. So if you're having a panic attack, you could call them up. Or lots of times if you fear having one, even if you haven't had one, but you're, you're afraid that if you do that thing, whatever that thing is, that then you'll have one. So you kind of feel like you're in the, the clutches of, of fear and that you could reach out and, and talk to somebody who cares. You can... Uh, turn to, you know, biblical counseling, someone at your church might be able to help you with that. Maybe your pastor, maybe, um, maybe someone else that you know, maybe someone who's, uh, you become aware of either because they're listed on the ACBC website or wherever, um, you become aware of biblical counseling. I'm just encouraging you to reach out. You know, you're not alone. There are solutions. You can replace fearful thoughts with faith-filled thoughts. It does require action on your part, but you can be encouraged. Many people, many, many people have gotten help. And even if occasionally they fall back into a panic attack, they know exactly what to do in order to uh, get out of that that fearful, crazy cycle and um, move forward with their life. Having a panic attack doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. For those who might think that, like if they're afraid, does that mean I'm not a believer? Believing the the lie that believers wouldn't have this. If someone truly believes in Jesus, they would never have a panic attack. That that would describe, if anything, an unbeliever. Don't don't let yourself go there thinking that if you are listening to this podcast and you're desiring to know that you're not alone and that you have support, then as I said before, I encourage you to reach out, go to scripture, read the word. You know, I mentioned three three passages before that are good to go to. Um, the Psalms are also good to go to. Just read and listen to music and just, I was going to say, things like go ahead and get outside, you know, go for a walk. You know, physical activity is very helpful for, for um, panic attack sufferers. You know, breathing deeply, another help to just continue to turn to God and not turn away from him, but turn toward him because he is your hope. 
Well, thank you so much, Lucy, for sharing those encouragements. I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk about this topic. I know it's really important and it's a personal struggle for a lot of people and even something I have been affected by and my family as well in the past. And so I'm really thankful you took the time to write the Lifeline mini book resource on the topic. And I want to encourage listeners, if after listening to this conversation, you're ready to take some next steps, I would really encourage you to purchase a copy of the mini book. There are personal applications projects at the back of the book, as well as recommended reading resources. So Lucy just talked about, you know, read, read books, try to do some research on this topic. And so if you're wondering, well, what book should I read? Get a copy of Lucy's mini book, and it has a list of recommended reading in the back. Well, Lucy, if there's someone listening today who wants to get connected with you and your counseling ministry, where is the best place that they can go online to find you? Yeah, the, the best place to go would be to my, my website, lucyannmall.com, L-U-C-Y-A-N-N-M-O-L-L. So that's my middle, my first middle last name, .com. And that's the best place to go. I'm, um, I'm on staff at Biblical Counseling Center in, um, that's in the Midwest. And you could also go there. That's biblicalcounselingcenter.org. And then you could look me up there as well. So, um, but go to my, my personal website is the best place. And there's there's helps there. You can, you can download some free uh, material for people who suffer from anxiety. And uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to meet with you, connect with you. That would be good. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Lucy. This was a really great conversation. I'm thankful you took the time to have it with us. Well, thank you. Thank you, Christine. It was great connecting with you. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.